Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Employment Matters podcast, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the world. I'm your host, Philippe Durand, partner at Auguste de Bouzy in France. On the program, we span the globe and receive updates on critical issues from ELA members in each region. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the EU Foreign Subsidies Regulation, also called or referred to as FSR. More precisely, we'll be addressing this EU regulations number 2022-2560 of 14 December 2022, which was and became effective as from 12 July 2023. This is today a bit of a special event for us because uh, joining us on the program is Renaud Cristol, who is one of my partners at Auguste de Bouzy, and I have the pleasure to have my guest in front of me in my own office to do this recording. So, Renaud, very happy to have you on the program, and uh, how are you doing today? Hi, Philippe. Uh, very good, actually, and very pleased to join this podcast to explain you a little bit about this new regulation. Very good. So let's start with one question that, just for the sake of clarity, and particularly for some of our audience which may not be very familiar with EU law, could you tell us, Renaud, briefly about the main difference between a EU directive and an EU regulation? Because here we're talking about a regulation and not a directive. Yeah, sure. The main difference between the two texts is that uh, regulation applies without any need of transposition in all member states, whereas a directive has to be transposed in local laws in the member states to be applicable. This means that the regulation we're going to talk about today is directly applicable in all the EU member states since its entry into force. So no transposition required, direct effect, that's what we're talking about. This regulation, Renaud, I was just saying that as an introduction, was actually issued by the EU Parliament and the EU Council on 14 December 2022, and it relates to foreign subsidies that would potentially distort the internal market, the internal EU market. What is, Renault the background behind this new regulation, this FSR regulation? The background is that EU countries wanted to have an instrument to be able to control subsidies that are given to companies by non-EU states and that may distort competition. When you're talking about an EU state giving subsidies to private companies, this can be regulated by what we call state aids, which is Article 107 of the treaty. But when it comes to non-EU countries, there is no regulation. And you had the risk of having distortion of competition due to these subsidies. That's why member states decided to put this new regulation into place in order to have the same level playing field for all the players in the EU, whether or not they are subsidized by any country in the EU or outside the EU. Well, now, Renaud, thank you for that, that we understand the background and the history for this new piece of legislation, which came into force, by the way, may I repeat that, on 12 July 2023. Could you tell us about the new powers that are now granted to the EU Commission and in which areas in particular? Actually, there are three sets of rules in this regulation. The first one gives powers to the Commission to start investigation in companies that have received subsidies from non-EU countries 
and are also active in the EU member states. The second one relates, and we will talk about this a little bit in details later, relates to merger control and merger and acquisitions that could be made by companies that receive these subsidies. And the last one is in connection with public markets and public tenders to which these non-EU countries receiving subsidies candidate in the EU with the help of the subsidies that have been received by the non-EU countries. Renaud, as you rightly said, we are going to leave aside two aspects of this legislation. We're going to focus now to mergers, acquisition, and this kind of corporate transaction. So, in a few words, what types of corporate transactions are concerned here by this regulation? And what is the type of notification process that has been introduced by this new FSR regulation? And before we talk about applicable thresholds. Yeah, the thing to have in mind is that this new regulation takes the same concept that are in force in EU law when it comes to merger and acquisition with the merger control regime. So basically, when we are talking about the concentration, this in englobes all acquisitions of companies, mergers, acquisition of assets, and also the setting up of full function joint ventures. So basically, all this kind of external operation that could be implemented by companies are captured by this new regulation. Well, the parallel, Renault, with concentration is, I think, very interesting. But now let's move to those thresholds that are defined by the regulation. What are those thresholds? But more importantly, I would be interested to hear from you. How do you see those thresholds from a really practical point of view? And maybe you could clarify things a bit for us through practical example or one practical example you could share with us. When it comes to thresholds, the logic was the same also as in merger control, because it has been decided to set up thresholds in turnover and in figures achieved in terms of subsidy received by the companies. So you have two cumulative thresholds. The first one is that all the companies involved in the transaction must have achieved a turnover of 500 million euro in the EU during the preceding year. Notwithstanding the, the location of the company, what we look at is, is there any turnover achieved in the EU by these companies? And this turnover, on a cumulative basis, must amount to 500 million euros. That's the first threshold. And the second one is an individual one. This means that when, for instance, we have an acquisition of a company by another one, the purchaser must have received 50 million euros of subsidies from non-EU countries during the last three years. And on the other hand, the target must also have received 50 million euros of subsidies from non-EU countries during the last three years. So you have one cumulative thresholds in terms of turnover and one individual thresholds in terms of subsidies received. To give you a simple example, um, this would imply, for instance, that a company which have achieved this 500 million euros of turnover and beside has received subsidies from the UK, for instance, or Switzerland or the US for more than 50 million euros would be captured by this new regulation. Because what is important to have in mind is that the countries we're talking about are all the countries that are not part of the EU27. So basically, it's all the countries in the world, except for the one that are in the EU. So that's very clear. And I think the example we give will share will shed some judicious and useful light on those thresholds. I think now we need to 
really trying to define and uh, have your views, Renaud, on what the regulation has in mind when it talks about foreign subsidies. You did talk about state aid, but could you tell us what the regulation talks about when it talks about foreign subsidy or foreign subsidies? Yes, this is actually the key concept of this regulation, because if we were merely talking about subsidies as we understand it in the common sense, this would be a not so broad regulation. But we are not talking merely about subsidies. We're talking about a more broader term, which is contributions. This means that it encompasses subsidies, loans, loans guarantees, capital injections, compensation for financial burdens imposed by public authorities, debt forgiveness, purchase of goods or services, and also foregoing of revenues. So basically, and in a nutshell, any amount of money that comes out from a state to a company or any amount of money that should be retrieved by a state from a company but which is not is captured by the notion of contribution and subsidy. And again, to take a clear example for you to understand, this will mean, for instance, that companies that are working or selling products to a state can be captured by this tax because, as I said, the purchase of goods or services is considered as a financial contribution when it comes to the regulation. So basically, each company which sells goods or services to non-EU member states will have to look at how much they have perceived in terms of sales from these non-EU countries to see if they are or not captured by the thresholds. And also, the amount of money and and the, the contribution we're talking about can come directly from the state, but also can come from any local authority, any public company. So when you take the same example I was taking, any company which is selling goods to a state or selling goods to a local authority or selling goods to public companies, again, this broadens the scope and leads to the inclusion of this company to the regulation. Obviously, Renaud, so the this concept of uh, state aid or uh, foreign subsidy is quite broad, and that was very clear. Now that we have the thresholds, now that we know what uh, would be viewed as a foreign subsidy, we need to talk, I think, about timing, because I did say at the outset of this, as an introduction to this podcast, that this is a notification process with the EU Commission. So timing is always very important for this kind of uh, process, of course. What sort of delays are we talking about here in this FSR regulation, Renault? Again, this regulation has been thought to be a lookalike of the merger control. This implies that you have a standstill obligation. You cannot execute the transaction and perform the transaction until you have obtained the clearance. So this is very important because this will add a new delay to transaction schedules in addition to merger control and sometimes a foreign regulation that could apply locally. Fortunately, the delay that have been setup are the same as in merger control. So we are talking about as the EU merger control. So we're talking about a 25 days delays starting from the date of the filing of a complete filing. But again, as in merger control, there will be a necessity to have an informal action before filing, which is called a pre-notification in merger control and which is also be called pre-notification in that respect. So basically, you will have this pre-notification that could for experience lasts at least one month or one month and a half. And then you'll be authorized to formally file 
And from the filing, you have 25 days to the clearance. That's for the biggest part of the transaction that will be notified. I mean, the, the one that does not raise any serious competition or concerns when in terms of a distortion of the market. For the operation that will have this significant concern, then the delay will be very much longer because we are talking about 90 days from the filing, a delay that can be extended also if there are remedies taken or if specific things happen in the proceedings. But as in merger control, we can assume that more than 75 or 80% of the transaction that will be captured by this new regime will be clear in phase one, basically 25 days after the notification. Well, no, so that's very clear. We understand there are two types of delays, although you did say that the shortest one would normally apply. Now, you did say that a core issue in this EU regulation is the concept of French subsidy, but I think there's a second one, which is also a key part of it. I alluded to it. You also talked briefly about it a few seconds ago. That's the idea that this envisaged corporate transaction should not distort the EU internal market. What to be expected here? I mean, how do you, for example, personally understand this concept based on these regulation provisions? Yeah, this is this is also something which is very important because this is a new concept in EU law. We know the substantial lessening of competition, which is the test applied in marriage control. We know what is a dominant position. We know this concept. But the distortion of the EU internal market is an absolutely new concept without any case law or precedence that could help us to understand. But what it stems from the text that have been prepared and drafted before the regulation is that this concept is not that much far from what we know in terms of competition law. So basically what we will look at is does the subsidies that have been granted to the company have the effect of distorting the competition in the internal market, does these subsidies give an advantage to the recipient that should have not been granted without the subsidies? And by seeing that, we see that this is a concept which is not that much far away from the one we know in competition. So basically, what we can assume is that the reflexes and the precedence that we know from a competition law standpoint and from a merger control standpoint will be useful in assessing which kind of subsidies will be clear of issues and which kind of subsidies will be subject to objections. In addition to that, there are a couple of subsidies that are expressly mentioned in the regulation and with this assumption of absence of distortion that could be granted to these kind of subsidies. And on the other hand, there are subsidies which are very likely, according to the regulation, which are very likely to distort competition. To give you an example of this very likely uh, here subsidies, for instance, when we're talking about undertakings that are in bad shape or that are facing financial difficulties and that receive subsidies, there, these kind of subsidies could be and are very likely to be considered as problematic. On the other hand, when we're talking about subsidies that their total amount is inferior to 4 million euros yearly, they are considered to be like in a kind of de minimis way of seeing this, they are considered to be not likely to distort the EU market. So we have this kind of basic guidelines and we also had, as I say, the help of competition law to 
figure out a little bit which kind of surgery will be problematic and which will be not. But one last thing in that respect is that here is the big difference between the FSR and the merge control. In merge control, all the decisions are published, even if the very simple ones are published, and this has helped us practitioners to understand the way that the Commission implements the regulation since the very beginning of this regulation. For the FSR, and at this stage, the Commission has said that they will not publish the decisions that are rendered in Phase 1. As I said, the biggest part of the decision will be rendered in Phase 1. And they will merely publish the decisions that are, will be rendered at the end of Phase 2, so basically the most problematic case. And this will be an issue to you see to better understand this, for instance, this concept of distortion of the EU internal market because we won't have any case law to see on which grounds and how the Commission has decided to apply this concept. So this is something that adds, as I say, to this very broad regulation and that adds, I wouldn't say risk, but a concern at least for companies to be able to assess by themselves without any help from case law if their subsidies are likely to be problematic or not. Obviously, Renault, because of this absence of publication of decisions will, of course, make the use of practitioners like you, and I should stress that you are heading our competition law practice in this firm, by the way, the use of practitioners will, of course, be key in order to get a better view about recent decisions or general decision, general jurisprudence established by the EU Commission in this uh, area. Renaud, I would like to close our discussion today with a final question. If I try to be very practical, what will happen if I am a company and I file a request with the EU Commission and I get a negative ruling from the EU Commission? What can I do at that stage? Is there any form of appeal? Can I do anything after following that? First, you want to avoid having these negative ruling or negative decisions because there is a possibility when, when, when you will have a subsidies that are problematic, you will have the possibility, same as in virtual, you will have the possibility to present remedies to the commission or commitments in order to balance the, the negative effect of the subsidies you have received. But again, this is another field of unknown because When we're talking about remedies in merge control, it is pretty straightforward to see what we are talking about. Basically, the most common remedies is divestment. When you purchase a company and no market share is too high, you decide to divest a couple of assets or a couple of companies to lower the market share. So that's the most common and the most straightforward remedy that we see in merge control. Here, when we're talking about subsidies, the question will be, what can I do to resolve the distortion of the EU internal market that was provoked by the subsidy. The first solution that we could think about is reimbursement. I mean, basically, we could think about companies saying, okay, I see that my subsidies I've received are problematic, therefore I decide to reimburse the subsidies. But it is not as easy to do this and to implement this as to say it, because again, as I say, when I was talking about the thresholds, This is not only the subsidies that you have received during the last year, but during the last three years. So basically, this could be very, very complicated to reimburse subsidies that have been perceived during the precedent years that also have certainly been used by the companies to perform its activities. And then how could you be in a position to say, okay, so I'm going to give the subsidy back and reimburse it. This will not be easy. So 
this will also be a new step and, and a new field for practitioners to find practical solutions in order to remedy this concern. But if we are in a position and in a situation so we where the remedies are not deemed sufficient, then of course there is a possibility of decision of ban and of interdiction of the transaction. And in such a case, you cannot uh, achieve the transaction. I mean, you have to stop the transaction you were contemplating, same as in merge control, and you cannot implement it. However, this risk might be, I would say, minimized because when we look at what has happened in merge control during the last 10 years, if I'm correct, we merely have, I would say, 10, 10 decisions of interdiction. So basically one per year, which is not that much. So if we assume that the statistic will be pretty much similar when it comes to FSL, this will not concern a lot of transactions at all. Well, thank you very much, Renaud. I think it was very interesting to hear you, especially on the practical tips you were able to give us today, particularly on this concept of distortion of the EU market and also this absence of case law and jurisprudence. And finally, the practical approach to be followed if one of our clients or a, a company, any company in the world, uh, would end up in the difficult situation you were just referring to. But I'm afraid this is all the time we have today, Renaud. It's been a very interesting discussion. Thanks again. And it was a pleasure, of course, uh, chatting and uh, talking with you today. Yeah, thank you very much, Philippe. This was also a pleasure for me to discuss this very interesting topic with you today. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. If you would like to connect with Renault, please click on his bio in the description of this podcast. We also encourage you to reach out to any of our lawyers around the world by selecting Find a Lawyer on the ELA website at ELA.law. That's L-A-W. In addition, search the ELA website where you can sign up to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers and on-demand content from our online library or access ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Philippe Durand. Thanks for listening. <laughs>